I tend to do two things. I try to take that breath to buy the time because there is this belief that everyone is looking at you and if you were just good enough, you'd say the one thing, drop the mic and walk out of the room, right? And there's this pressure to be the drop the mic person. Mm-hmm. And honestly, not just two heartbeats, but 10 heartbeats isn't that long. So just to stop and to just take a breath or two. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be and hosted by Design to Be founder and CEO, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community for designers to grow their emotional intelligence. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Scott Jensen. Scott has been doing user interface design and strategic planning for over 30 years. He worked at Apple on System 7, Newton, and the Apple Human Interface Guidelines. He was the director of Symbian's Design Lab, manager of Mobile UX for Google, and a creative director at Frog Design in San Francisco. He was a founding member of the biotech company Color. Scott returned to Google, working on the Chrome team in 2013, to work on IoT and Android. In 2021, he left to explore the world outside of Google and is now working at Ink and Switch, an industrial research lab. We dive into how to use meditation to create space for curiosity, how to be unattached to the result so you can be a better listener, and how, in order to be understood, you need to first understand yourself and the situation. Welcome, Scott, to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. When we were chatting a bit, first via email, and then we hopped on a short call, and we're talking back and forth of what exactly do we want to... Did you want to talk about and did you want to share from your past experiences and how emotional intelligence played a role, if at all, in your career? And so what we like boiled down to was really focusing on this theme of understanding yourself and the situation in order to be understood. And there's so much there that that we'll dive into, but I'm curious if you could first start by giving folks a bit of context of how we arrived at this topic. I think I started off just asking a lot of questions. I wasn't really quite sure what you wanted, if I was the right person for you. But I think it started out, it was a story, I think, about being in Google. The issue I had at Google was that I was doing quite well. And I found, even though I got compliments and I I was told I was doing a good job, I was never getting promoted. And so it was about that journey of realizing that no one was going to help me on that and how I eventually went to a kind of executive training course and just learned the power of listening and how important that was. And then I combined that with a personal journey about working with meditation. And I think the comment I gave to you was, I was so disappointed that meditation didn't give me superpowers. (laughs) And, and all it really gave me, and which I think is actually a huge gift was the ability to take a breath. And then the training that I took could kick in. So I think that's, and please correct me if I'm not quite getting it right, but that's kind of how we got started on this journey. 
Yeah, spot on. And you're helping color in and connect the dots a bit for me on my end as well. Before really diving into this topic, I want to turn back the clock a little bit. Was there a specific moment in your career, and maybe it was this experience at Google, that made you learn the importance of understanding yourself and others understanding you? No, I was a complete idiot. I just kept having difficult conversations. Not always. I mean, I'm actually a really nice guy, you know, and in general, I'm pretty easy to work with. But every like six to eight months, there'd always be this weird flare up. I'm like, how did that happen? Like, Mm. it's just like, what, where, how, what, you know, there's this kind of confusion as to like, where did this come from? And, and it just kept happening. And the kind of meta comment I want to make is that most companies have excellent training for their senior directors. They don't have much for employees. That's why it's so important, I think, to have podcasts like yours, because there is training for things like this. You can mm-hmm. become more self-aware. You can become a better listener, but it's not for, for most people. And so it wasn't until I had a family friend go to an executive type training seminar, and she spoke very highly of it, that I'm like, let me give this a shot. That's what kind of kicked me off. And it was made such a difference. I can't, can't believe I waited that long <laughs> to actually do it. Folks, check out the Design to Be training if you haven't yet already. (laughs) I noticed that one, that gap in the market, which is a reason why the Design to Be training exists. But two, I'm curious in those six to eight moments, was it caused by a certain like point in like the product life cycle or was it a, did you find any like commonalities upon then completing that executive training? The commonalities was that I just kept thinking next time would be better. Now, there's just this feeling like, oh, that, would, that was silly. I'll, I'll, I'll be better next time. And then by the eighth time, you're like, there's a pattern here. It wasn't until my second to last manager said, Scott, if you haven't been promoted by now, you'll never get promoted, which was kind of a nice bit of candor, but kind of <laughs> not the thing a manager should ever tell someone because it, what he was basically saying is, I'm giving up on you, mm-hmm. right? And so that was the motivation for me to kind of really say, okay, fine, I need to figure this out. Did you find certain like commonalities between these six, eight months? Like, was it tension between a certain coworker? Was it you got overwhelmed in a certain situation? Or what was arising that kind of was this blocker to getting promoted? At the time, I would just say I was just unlucky to just have a meeting with an idiot, which yeah. is clearly the wrong framing. And what would happen is it would just it would be a meeting that would be of semi-importance. And it would be someone who didn't get it and wasn't listening and wasn't acknowledging my points. And so what I would do, oh, they just don't understand me. I just need to say it again and maybe a little louder. Someone in this room is wrong. And so what the aha moment was that what I was hearing was not what they were saying. That was the fundamental point that took me until I was in my 50s before I understood that the majority of the tension came from how I interpreted what they said. And I had tools to de-stress the situation and actually get them to a common understanding where we both were happy. That's not the same thing as me being right or them agreeing with me. Because mm-hmm. the dirty little secret of listening to people is that a good chunk of the time, you realize they're right. Yeah. What you said is, is so, so, so powerful. 
it's difficult. And I just want to acknowledge that there is like an egoic aspect of we've worked so hard on whatever it may be. And then you get into this room and you're sitting across from this person. They have no idea what the hell you're, what you've been working on. And then they just come in and they're like, no, 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 no. And you're like, and so it's, it's easy. (laughs) I just want to acknowledge that piece. Well, it is, it is. And I think one of the most pivotal parts of this training I went to was their basic point was ask for what you want and be unattached to the result. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How, how can that possibly work? Because you walk in, you kind of go, yeah, I want to do this feature. And they go, no. And you go, okay, fine. And you walk out the room. It's like, no, you would never do that. But that's mm-hmm. what it sounded like. And what I finally figured out was by being unattached to the result, you can listen and so when you're unattached to the result, you can actually ask some clarifying questions. And it's not their A and your B, but it's probably a C that's floating between you two. It's why I hate A-B testing, right? A-B testing sucks. And so, it, but the same thing applies to talking to people. It's not A-B testing either. And mm-hmm. so the, this ability to not be attached so that you can untangle your ego and you can A, ask clarifying questions. I mean, one of the terms I've, phrase I came up with is no is just their shorthand for saying they don't trust you. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you hear that, it's like, oh, they don't trust. They're not really saying no. So when you can start to realize, hey, as UX designers, we have tools. We can actually ask probing questions, ask open-ended questions. So anyway, I'm I'm rambling a bit, but I wanted to get to that that moment where by being unattached to the result, you can actually be a better listener. It's such a powerful mindset shift. I'm curious if there's anything that you did in order to like practice this or incorporate it. Or for folks who are listening, who are like, okay, Scott, that great, <laughs> but like, <laughs> well, no. yeah, no, no, exactly. I mean, the last thing I want to come across in this interview is that I've got it all figured out. So what I would say is like the first three or four times. I would figure it out after the fact. I'd go like stupid, stupid, you know, kind of feeling, right? Because at least though I could retroactively say, what could I do? And this is where meditation came in because the whole purpose of meditation is to say, hey, come back here, you cute little puppy. Come on, come on, come on back. You know, and you just keep bringing the puppy back, right? And that's exactly what was happening in these meetings. I would, my ego would run away or my self-defense or whatever would run ahead and Meditation is those things that you kind of do it for a while and you fall off the wagon. And so I am not an Olympic caliber meditator by any stretch. But my point is, when you do it regularly, you do gain that breath and you kind of go, wait a second, maybe I should ask a question here. (laughs) And that's what Mm -hmm. saved me. Yeah. It's a forever like returning and it creates this like little, little space to have choice. And when you appreciate how hard it is to open up that space you appreciate what meditation is actually doing. It, it's the most powerful thing that looks so silly, right? It's like, oh, it's giving me a half, it's giving me two heartbeats. I'm going to spend months doing this. Do I gain two heartbeats? Well, actually, yeah, <laughs> you should. So um, that's the anti-superpower view of meditation I was talking about. I want to shift gears a little bit. And uh, for folks who are listening and they maybe they have a presentation coming up or they're getting their work reviewed by by someone what are things that or they're having like a brainstorm sometime in the next couple of weeks what are things that they can do to make sure that they're understood by whoever well, they're communicating with or ever well, whoever they're collaborating with 
This is a bit of a switch of topic because I've been very excited to be a mentor on adplist.org. And I've been able to do dozens of mentee things over the last year. And I've been able to actually discuss this very point with lots of people. The biggest problem I see with designers, especially junior designers, is that you prototype with your mouth. You just mm-hmm. think out loud and you're in an important meeting and you're like, nom, 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 and you just wander all over the place. So the most important thing is to really clearly know what you want to say and have it worked out. And so I have a log. I use penzu.com, I think. Usually whenever I have something big coming up, I'll just write into that. And it just allows me to prototype with my fingers and just say a bunch of stuff and then boil it down into something one-tenth the size. Because... Brevity looks cool. It's really important (laughs) to be brief. And if you can boil what you want to say down to a couple of sentences and then have the confidence to pause, you come across as a badass. It really, really helps a lot. So that's what I would say is figure out what you want to say, write it all out, and then make it one-tenth the length. And that'll really help. Can you share an example of a time that you were able to do that? I have this vivid memory of when I was at Salesforce years ago now. And the head of design at the time, he speci- I vividly remember it was like during an all hands and was saying like the most impactful designers can easily bounce between the macro and micro, not even just terms of elevation, the problem solving, but also expanding on what you shared of being able to synthesize, of going really deep on something and then trimming it down to be this single one line. And that's just as powerful. We are going to take a short break to hear an exciting update from Design to Be. Design to Be is thrilled to bring back the Design to Be training with our Spring 22 cohort. With eight weeks of emotional intelligence training, community, and meditation, we provide you the tools, skills, and mindsets to increase your impact and find meaning in your work. If you're looking for a new job, you're starting a new role or project, or you're seeking a meaningful career, the Design to Be training is for you. Upon completing our program, you'll join our global alumni network who design the world's most used products and services. Some that you're familiar with include Bumble, Coursera, Dropbox, Google, Instacart, Pinterest, Uber, and Zendesk. We are fusing authentic community, inspirational speakers, and actionable techniques to uplevel your design career. Curious to learn more? Head to designtobe.com forward slash training to learn more and apply. Applications are now open and close on March 29th. But designers will be accepted on a rolling basis, so be sure to apply early to secure your spot. Now, back to the show. I do this literally every day in the sense that I will write an email and I'll try to turn it into three bullet points. The act of distilling usually exposes a flaw in your argument. By distilling it, you actually are doing yourself a favor because you're realizing that what you're saying isn't that simple and it mm-hmm. needs to be more simple. So it's think, I, again, in UX terms, it's a prototype. And so I'd say half of my emails have bullet points in them. So that's just a technique I, I really fall back on. Every day I am trying to trim down what I'm saying because the first thing I say is me thinking out loud and nobody needs to hear that. 
I'm not being respectful of their time if I do that. Another thing that I've found, and I'm curious where you resonate with this, is in order to make sure that I'm understood in a situation, thinking about who are the people I'm also interacting with and what are their goals and what are their intents. I'm curious if upon fizzling something down to that single line or having those bullets, if that's something that's also top of mind for you in any way. When looking at emotional intelligence, there's an aspect of emotional intelligence called like social awareness. Um, and that's simply being aware of the other people who you're interacting right. with. Like, what are their goals? What are their needs? What do they want out of, say, for writing on this email example, what are they looking for in that? So this is a trick we did at Frog Design all the time, and we call it stakeholder interviews. It's easier to do when you're a consulting company, but there's a version you can do it personally, which is we'd go to a company and someone would come in and they'd say, we want to do X. And we're like, great, awesome. Can we speak to the five people that feed into you? Like, oh, okay, sure. And then we'd interview all of them and they're saying, well, do you want to do X? And they said, oh, yeah, sure. But then we'd ask them, like, what are your biggest fears? What keeps you up at night? What's important to you? What's the biggest constraint? You know, that we'd ask a lot of open-ended questions and we'd get mm -hmm. completely different answers. And mm -hmm. the whole idea was to just listen. You know, what is driving you? What is important to you? What we would then do is we would then bring all those people together in an early meeting. And there was various exercises that we would do to get everybody on the same page. And until you had that meeting, the real project couldn't start. Now, that's a long process that you can't always do. But to answer your point, when you're meeting with somebody or you're going to go have a coffee with them and just talk to them before the deliverable, right? just listen to them and then ask them exactly the questions that you just talked about. What, you know, what's important to you? What's, what's the issues? And just listen to them because I've actually found if you just ask an open-ended question, it's stunning how long people will talk and let them just let them go. And that itself builds trust, that itself builds confidence. And then when they take a breath, you kind of go, well, I actually, that was really interesting, but if I understood you right. And then you ask your second question. And by asking those kinds of questions, you really can A, build trust, but B, get where they're coming from. So that when you do present the next week, mm -hmm. you're kind of already halfway on their side. I'm envisioning a, like a stool. So the three legs of the stool of understanding yourself and understanding another person and understanding the situation being this last leg. So I'm curious from your experience, when you talk about understanding the situation, what do you mean by that? I am a fairly empathetic person, actually. My sons are too. As they are growing up, I can see how empathy can be a double-edged sword. So if you're in a room and you can see people getting antsy or getting frustrated, it can really make you tense. And so... To me, the biggest part about reading the room, I would argue, is to just, you stack the deck. If you're familiar with Kirk and the Kobarashi maneuver from the movies, he won this impossible thing and he did it by cheating. And so my mm -hmm. point was to, I tend to cheat in meetings by running by versions of it with various members of the room before I actually make the presentation. And the, the reason I do this is A, it's the prototype, I can, and B, I can, as I said, listen, ask. And I can build a little bit of partnership with them so that when I'm in the room, I actually have colleagues that are ready to come into bat for me. So I understand I'm actually cheating and not answering your question, but that is one of the better ways to get through a meeting is to have two or three of the people on the website already agreeing with you. I think you're completely answering the question. And I think this could be applied to any like complex organization was if you're in a room 
in a meeting, whether it be physically or virtually, there's a lot of different opinions uh, oh, that, are, no, that are floating yeah. through the room. And it helps to have one consent and agreement already between certain people just to make sure that, okay, so I know that they'll, that we're on the same page and I know that we're on the same page. So then when you go in a room that has, maybe it has a dozen plus people, it's not all, okay, but I thought this, but I thought this. It, it's okay. We already agreed on this and there's a bit more consensus. And so it's easier to move forward. But let's take the case I think that many people are thinking about, which is let's say you do everything right, right? You talk to everybody, you get the consensus, you get people on your side, you go in and that one VP, right, speaks up and kind of goes, I don't like it. What are you going to do? That has happened to all of us. And this goes back to my original point about being unattached to the result, because how you absorb someone disagreeing with you actually mm -hmm. can set you up for success for the next meeting, right? So actually taking that gracefully and not freaking out is actually very powerful. The hardest lesson for me to learn is that control was an illusion. The decisions were completely outside of my hands. I was yeah. there to make a suggestion and no amount of effort on my part was going to necessarily fix that. So in those meetings, and everybody that's listening to this will be in those meetings where someone is going to be an ass, they're going to talk over you and whatever, being able to not freak out, be able to state your opinion, possibly being able to even disagree with him without being a jerk about it, just saying, okay, I still feel very strongly about X. I'm really concerned about Y. I understand that we have to go forward with your decision, but you know, so you can state your piece, but you don't freak out about it and you don't get pissy about it. And then what'll happen is if you're at all good, X and Y will happen. And the people will remember that in the meeting and they'll say, we should have listened to Scott. Now that's the long game. And it never really is always that perfect. All I'm saying is it's better than <laughs> freaking out in the meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And so handling a no gracefully is, is something to also be practiced. Yeah. There's so much goodness in what you shared and it's, it's damn hard. And I just want to like really underline. Oh, um, that's what I'm saying is that I, I <laughs> do not want anyone to think that I'm a master at this. Yeah. Right. Is this is just the thing that I have been able to do occasionally. I can mm -hmm. do it 50% of the time. And whenever I don't do it, I kick myself, but at least I feel like I know what is the right thing to try. And that does give me some calm and it does help me slow down a little bit, mm -hmm. um, but it's a ne never ending process. Yeah. I'm curious in those moments for folks listening who are trying to <laughs> avoid slash manage that kind of situation. If there's anything in the moment of outside of the dialogue that you shared of what can possibly mm -hmm. said, but more so how to keep you're calm <laughs> in that situation. So you don't lash out. Is there any guidance or recommendation you'd have? I think it's a very, very personal path. Um, yeah. And I think we all have our own personal demons and, you know, it all comes back to your parents anyway. Right. So, um, so that, that's a very <laughs> personal thing. So what I would say though, is for me, I tend to do two things. I try to take that breath to buy the time because there is this belief that everyone is looking at you. And if you were just good enough, you would say the one thing, drop the mic and walk out of the room, right? And there's this pressure to be the drop mm -hmm. the mic person. Mm -hmm. And honestly, not just 
two heartbeats, but 10 heartbeats isn't that long. So just to stop and to just take a breath or two, even if you think it's like you look comatose, <laughs> right? Just to take a breath. I think that really is going to buy you a little bit of that time. The other one I do think is to look the person in the eye and then ask them if you can. I mean, let's be clear. If, if the VP says, I hate your idea, it's stupid. Asking them an open-ended question is probably not the right thing to do, right? I mean, that's not going to work. But if the person says, no, we really can't do it, then it's to say, can I really understand a little bit more about the timeline? Like, is it because it's like six? Can you give me a little bit more about the timeline? Just ask mm -hmm. any open-ended question that just expands on what they said just mm -hmm. to get them talking because that also buys you time. That buys you another 30 heartbeats to think about it. It doesn't always work, but at least it gives you a chance to learn more. Yeah. And a lot of what you're, we're alluding to, and I, and I didn't expect this to go here, but is like curiosity. And mm -hmm. I found that to be a great way to combat judgment or fear or whatever is com com <laughs> coming your mm -hmm. way of like, oh, I wonder why. Oh, I'm curious about this. Like, why would, you, why would he hate that? Why would she hate that? Why would they hate that? And just get curious. And that I've seen a, allows you to release a little bit of that attachment to the outcome yeah, as well. Absolutely. But you have to make room for curiosity. I think curiosity gets crowded out. Mm -hmm. So that's the part is to say, oh, I should be curious. The other one is what I was mentioning to some of the more junior people is to say, you should just assume in your first job that you're going to make 20 presentations and 15 of them are going to fail. And it's not because you want to be negative. It's not because you want to be defeatist. It's that you want to prepare your anxiety inducing mechanisms to not be upset when it happens, mm -hmm. to be that calmer person. And then the goal is that when they do say no to you, you're ready for it. And then you do ask an open-ended question and then maybe even turn it around. Maybe you can't. But if you don't immediately go into anxiety mode, there's a chance that you can save it. And I think that's the, the thing I keep trying to do. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And we've touched on so many different things. I'm going to move to a couple closing questions. Sure. So everything that we've spoken about today, whether it be understanding yourself or others, reading the room and a little bit of meditation and curiosity and much peppered in, in between, all falls under the umbrella of emotional intelligence. And so I'm curious from your perspective, why is this an important skill for designers to invest in? Very simply, if every single executive is getting this training, doesn't that imply that it's somewhat important? So if you want the seat at the table, why don't you do what they're already doing? The more you look into this, the more you realize that this is like the number one thing that business leaders talk about. The reason why they're talking about it is that it's extremely powerful. So I think it's kind of, kind of astounding that we don't talk about it ourselves. Yeah. Well, at least for folks listening, you're taking a step, you're listening to the show and part of the Design to Be community and so much more, so much more. One last question. So if you could ask one thing of the audience in relation to what we spoke of today, maybe something that they can get started on, one action that they could take, what would it be? I would say to cultivate reflection in whatever way you can do it. So what I do is I have a journal and I try to write in it every morning. It's everything from this is what I was working on to how did that go? 
some people don't like to be a diary person. Some people, so I'm saying, all I'm saying is that we don't reflect. And I think we get so much learning from digesting what we've done. We're our own best teachers. So anyway, mm-hmm. you can figure out a way to do that, whether it's at the end of the day, whether you, and it doesn't have to be a lot. It can just be like a 50 words. But any way you can sneak reflection into your day, I think that over the long haul will allow you to teach yourself. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your, your story, Scott. And I love your, your passion and your insights. And thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you so much. And that wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you are curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E dot com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest Design to Be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening. 